This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. We've got a big show today. We're going to be talking to Virginia Governor Terry McAuliffe in just a couple of minutes. And Rick, uh, this is the first podcast since the downfall of the Republican health care plan in the House. So is this called the Rick is Right podcast? Is that the actual title of this podcast? Or is there some variation of that we're going with? I wasn't well, exactly we, we, clear. We, we, did, we did discuss uh, the prospects of that bill passing the House uh, on, on Thursday during our last podcast. As a matter of fact, our uh, acting executive producer, Michelle Boncato, I think has a little clip from that podcast. Michelle, can you please play that clip? I think they can pass it. Can you please play that again? This is just, 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 just to put, give context. This is Rick Klein talking about the prospects of the American Health Care Act. That uh, 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 was it. The, what's it called again? Is that is that what AHCA stands for? The Republican uh, bill passing the House. This is what Rick said last week, shortly before the bill was pulled. Play it again, please. I think they can pass it. One more time, please. I think they can pass it. So, so Rick, do you want to do you want to uh, acknowledge that you were you were wrong about the Republican prospects? <laughs> no, you, I was you, exactly right. I think. Wait, wait. They I can think they pass, can pass they it. Can, it's, Did it they a, pass it? It was a statement of fact as of Thursday afternoon. <laughs> New developments happened where they were unable to pass it. I was I was right in saying. Look, the, it's it's like when Spicer says the you, president does believe that. I did think that at the time. That's exactly what I thought that they so, could pass it. So you were, and then they couldn't. And it's very were. it's very simple. It, it, look, I, I think I think what's important here is the big picture, John, and that is that they never had the votes. They didn't start with the votes. They didn't finish with the votes. And at no point in any of this did they have the votes. And to me, it just the mystique of the presidency. To say nothing of prediction games, the mystique of the presidency fades away with this because there was a sense on Capitol Hill that. Donald Trump's the closer. He can get this done. He wasn't able to. And the White House perspective, Paul Ryan can get this done because you don't lose votes in the House. He wasn't able to. So now a president that came in with the promise of being both feared and loved is neither of those things and gets that big setback and the agenda off the rails. So what does it mean uh, for that merry band of uh, true believing conservatives in the House, uh, the, the Freedom Caucus? I mean, they were able to stop the president's agenda cold. They were able to they – were, they were wooed by the president. They were invited to the White House over and over again. They gave him a standing ovation right. on Thursday uh, there in the cabinet room. Um, they even went bowling. They went bowling with the legislative affairs team. So what, what does it say about them? What next for them? Well, I thought the most interesting thing in the aftermath of, uh, of this defeat was when, when President Trump said, we learned a lot about loyalty. And you've seen the tweets that have come out since then. And boy, these guys have no friends on Capitol Hill and the Republican leadership, the establishment Republicans, the, the folks on the Paul Ryan team. And they didn't before. They didn't before, but now, you know, to right. get handed this embarrassing defeat. And I'm curious to see, does Donald Trump, get led to that altar again? Or does he stick the knife in? Because he now knows that there's a couple dozen Republicans that he can't count on. And it's it's a little bit different. It'd be one thing if he was defied just by moderates, because you can threaten them with, with challengers. You're not going to beat these guys from the right. 
But you can show them the cold shoulder, and you can cut them out of things. And if you're looking for governing coalitions, you could make them irrelevant. And boy, are they going to hate that. But I, I feel like they feel so you chastened mean, you, by this. You, you mean working with Democrats, trying that's to the, find that's a where few. the votes are. I mean, it, that, that's really the only alternative. And, and in some ways, President Trump is uniquely situated to do this. You've made this point on, on Good Morning America the other day, that there's a chance for him to go very big on this and to be the really nonpartisan person that, that he promised to be. But it's really hard because that, that's not who he surrounded himself with in the White House. That's not the, the policy inclinations he brought on the campaign trail. And it is certainly not going to be in Democrats' political interest to be empowering Donald Trump, something I know we're going to talk to Governor McAuliffe about in a few minutes. You know, there is – there are some of these Freedom Caucus members that are from they're, – they're all from districts where Trump is exceedingly popular. Very popular. Mo- mo- most of them. And uh, one one name that I've heard mentioned uh, is this Alex Mooney congressman from the 2nd District in West Virginia, coal country. Mm-hmm. I mean, if there's one area where Trump is— That's Trump country. I mean, sure. you know, I mean, he went Wildly there. popular. He put the hard hat on. He promised that he would, you know, fight for coal jobs. He's already taken action on it in his first uh, 100 days. Um, you know what? What? What if they went after a guy like like Mooney and said, "Look, we're gonna we're gonna support somebody else." Well, you th- I, that's a that's a really intriguing question to see how the Trump political operation adjusts. They've already lo- the Freedom Caucus lost a member. Uh, T- Ted Poe left the Freedom Caucus entirely over this, and even Mark Meadows, who is, is the face of the Tea Party, as the as the chairman of the caucus, he was on with uh, with our colleague George Stephanopoulos over the weekend, and basically sounding sounding a lot less like a purist when it comes to tax reform. That he may mm-hmm. be able to cut a deal that e- even if it means adding to the the deficit, which would be a, a, a crazy betrayal under any other president. So I wonder how chastened they are, and I wonder what Donald Trump's next legislative move is. In. in the meantime, he's doing a lot with the, with the, the so-called pen and phone again, right? The, the, the executive orders, the, the big EPA regulations, uh, the, the immigration enforcement and cracking down on sanctuary cities. You're seeing what we, we're focused a lot on what they can't do in the White House. There's a lot that they can do. I think do. Ford's doing something in Michigan. Getting right? some jobs together yeah. in Ford, right? The, the coal the coal stuff. There's a lot going on out of this out of this White House. But the next legislative move, John, what it's not like there's easy paths ahead. It's not like there's a whole bunch of things they can start checking off. Well the first thing that I started hearing after the bill went down or got pulled was from from Republican leadership both sides of Pennsylvania Avenue, worry that, you know, forget about tax reform. We've got government funding runs out on April 28th. So we, we have this continuing resolution that, that has basically been funding the, the government past, you know, b- you know uh, before the election. That runs out on April 28th. I, I hear real concerns about whether or not that can pass. Uh, and, and, their, and their plan, by the way, was to do kind of a double whammy here, was to fund the government through the end of the fiscal year, October 1st, but also to kind of slide in there a debt ceiling, debt ceiling increase yeah. so they wouldn't have to fight that fight in, in, in the fall. I mean, you're not going to get these Freedom Caucus guys on board unless there's a sudden kind of, you know, <laughs> we were wrong, uh, which, I, which I don't sense. I mean, what, what, I mean, can we see a shutdown? Can we see a shutdown, showdown going right in? And obviously, Repo- I mean, are Democrats... At this point, they're going to bail out Donald Trump. They're going to bail out the president who's not talking to them on, on anything. I, you, know, you have to focus on on not just the words from this president, as always, but also the actions. And he has said occasionally some throwaway comments here and there. I'm going to work with Chuck on this. I'm going to 
you know, let's get some Democrats to the table. He blamed Pelosi and and, uh, and the problem is now you're doing it from a point of weakness. Well, that's the thing. Maybe maybe he had a chance in the beginning, but now you're January, right? Yeah, now you're coming in and saying, "Look, I couldn't, I couldn't do it with Republicans, so now I need you guys." This is a real problem for this White House and how they strategize on this and how they come forward. That defines their success. Uh, look, I, I, I think a lot of the apocalyptic predictions of the end of the legislative agenda, that's overstated as always. They still have control of the House and the Senate. Bill Clinton's uh, biggest successes came after his loss in 94. And that's it. Uh, that, to me, is the key. If this president accepts the fact that he doesn't have a governing majority in the House or the Senate, really, and starts to govern as if he is he has a minority in, in, in Congress— that's how you get big things done, or even small things that add up to big things. And it doesn't necessarily mean you have to work with Nancy Pelosi no, and Chuck no, Schumer. No, no, it's not going to happen. Exactly. But you can, you can, you know, I mean, there are still moderate Democrats. There are still moderate Republicans. They're kind of hard to find, but they're there. And there's some policy-oriented ones who say, yeah. you know what, I Ungiven hate on everything else, but on this one little piece of this, that's where I believe in. I can get this done for my state or my district. Okay, well, let's go to the person that knows about all of this. Joining us now, Virginia Governor Terry McAuliffe, former chairman of the Democratic National Committee. For, I mean, so many former things, lots really. Of, I mean, of, it's lots like, of uh, formers, but not the former governor yet. He's still he got a couple is, months left. No, is, no, no. So, uh, Governor, we want to talk about uh, what the impact of this uh, health care, Republican health care implosion, and what it means for Virginia and what you're doing with uh, Medicaid. But I want, to, I want to start with a much bigger picture here. Sure. Since the Republicans failed to get through a Republican Congress, their uh, Obamacare alternative, uh, there's this talk of, well, they, 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 if, if President Trump wants to get anything done, he needs to work with Democrats. He's going to have to work with Democrats. We heard that from Reince Priebus, chief of staff yep. on Sunday, from others uh, in the White House and on the Hill. So my question to you is, how plausible is that really? Don't Democrats on Capitol Hill at this point, look at the White House in horror, smell a little bit of blood, uh, and the idea that they would come in and bail out uh, his agenda. Is there, is there really any any possibility that that could happen? None. I would say it's bigger than that. I think the main issue is you are never going to get the Democrats to work with Donald Trump and the Republicans to get rid of Obamacare. So if you're going to try and bring Democrats over, which I would have argued he should have tried to do because I think we're all in agreement uh, the bill needs to be tweaked, improved. We're all in agreement on that. We need to do things about the cost of pharmaceuticals. and But in order to do that, that means Democrats are working with the president to ensure that Obamacare is here forever. And I just think for the Republicans in the Congress who have been barking about this now for, you know, 10 years, nine years, that I don't see it very likely that that's going to happen. Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, willing to work with the president to improve it, to make it better, to bring down the cost of drug prices. If the president wants to do that and he thinks he can get his Republican in Congress to work with him on that, that's one thing. But let's be clear, there is zero chance that one Democrat will work with this administration if it's going to do anything to undermine or eliminate Obamacare. It's just not going to happen. But, but, but let's look even, even broader than that. I mean, the idea that the White House needs to have some kind of a reset that President Trump is somebody who came in. I remember one of his top people right after the election said, we just elected, America just elected our first independent president. He's not a guy who has particular loyalty to, to, to the Republican uh, Party. He's not even particularly conservative if you look over the course of, of his life. He spent most of it as a Democrat. Is there any scenario in which he could 
make some kind of a pivot, become a transformational president, work with Democrats on things like, you know, closing tax loopholes, infrastructure. Infrastructure. Is there? There, there clearly are areas where we could work together. Uh, infrastructure, clearly one of those, because at the end of the day, governors, we're the ones who build all the roads. So, you know, in Virginia, we lead the nation on our public-private partnerships. If he wants to work with us on issues like that, we're willing to work with him. I think tax reform is even going to be thornier than the health care reform, the, the repeal of the Obamacare they tried to do. That is fraught with problems for the president. He can't increase the debt. We're not going to let him give these tax cuts to the rich and hurt uh, middle-class Americans. We're just not going to do it. So everyone's open and working. I've said day one since the president came in, if you want to work with us on infrastructure, if you want to work with us on health care, they never did. And, in fact, you know, I chair the National Governors Association, you know, where they would work with Republican governors. There was not one outreach to Democratic governors to say, do you want to work with us? We have to implement all these Medicaid policies. So they talk a great game. The president talks a great game on all these big issues. But then he takes the exact opposite approach. And that's the problem of this administration. I've said from day one, this man has been a disaster for the Virginia economy, from the federal hiring freeze, to health care, his plan, and, and uh, Speaker Ryan's plan would have cost Virginia $703 million. We don't have the money to do it. He's talking about cutting the funding for the Chesapeake Bay. Now, Chesapeake Bay is a $130 billion asset when it's in its full glory for six states in the District of Columbia. And my biggest concern is we're not going to get a budget done this year, and we are going to operate again under a continuing resolution for a state like Virginia, largest naval base in the world and all the military assets, this is a killer for defense and defense spending, and it's going to really hurt us. So my point to the president, oh, and immigration and his travel ban. This man has been a one-man wrecking crew. We're working hard. I got my unemployment down to 3-9 with no help from this administration, and right now I'm facing very, very steep headwinds out of Washington. Get your act together and start doing things to help people. So let's talk about Virginia, and let's talk about the Medicaid expansion that you're pushing. This is not a new issue, as you know, in Virginia. You, you, there's been a, there's four or five attempts to get this through the legislature. Yep. What's what's different about it now? I mean, we, we, know, we know that yep. there's a bunch of states doing this, but what, what has changed in the political calculation that makes you optimistic? Well, the one thing that changed it, well, I'm, I'm not saying I'm optimistic. I mean, when I got elected, you know, I have a very Republican legislature, 66 Republicans out of 100. I have a speaker who said under no circumstances would this ever pass. Now, so I was realistic about my chances of getting it through the legislature. But let's be clear, that doesn't mean you don't continue to double down and try everything that you possibly can. You know, I mean, I was able to get a waiver out of Washington so that there would be no obligation to the state. They have continually over three years put up false arguments. One, it would cost the state financially. No, we can structure it where there's no obligations to the state. What's your argument then? Oh, it's going to be repealed, so, you know, therefore we're not going to go ahead and do it. Well, on Friday that ended when the Speaker and the President of the United States said, this is here to stay. I went back, put another amendment in my, in the, in, uh, to the legislature to say, okay, all your arguments are now gone. There are no more excuses. We have forfeited $10.4 billion. We lose $6.6 million a day. We could help 400,000 people get health care. We could create 80,000 new jobs. Let's do the right thing. But, you know, uh, unfortunately, a recalcitrant Republican legislature who is terrified terrified of the Tea Party, that they will lose their $17,300 a year job, terrified they won't vote for this. 
So what, put your political hat on for a moment in Virginia, where you've got elections this year and then and then the midterms next year. You you and many Democrats have been frustrated. You've never been able to sell Obamacare to the American people. The public has been skeptical. It was a voting issue in the other direction, famously in 2010. And you could argue powering President Trump as well. How do you turn this around as a voting issue? And will it be a voting issue to the, the maintaining Obamacare and, and expanding Medicaid in populations like in Virginia? Do you turn it into a voting issue this year and next? Yeah, but the only thing I would disagree with what you said, that we haven't been able to sell to the American public. A majority of Virginians greatly support Medicaid expansion. That's not the issue. They support it. What you have are 66 Republicans, as I say, who are terrified of the Tea Party and will not vote for it. I've had Republican members come into my office and say, Governor, I would vote for this tomorrow. But if I do, I won't be here next year. And because I will lose a Tea Party primary. Now, of the 31 states, a majority of the states have Republican governors. I mean, Vice President of the United States, Michael Pence did it. John Kasich did it. So let's, let's don't make this something that's not. This is pure politics to save their jobs. It is never, Why in, in the idea that you turn back $10.4 billion in Virginia with no obligation to the state? Who does it hurt? It hurts folks in the rural community. I've got an opiate crisis I'm trying to deal with in Virginia. I got a behavioral health crisis in Virginia, as every governor does. I'm forfeiting billions of dollars that I've already given to Washington, and I don't understand the Tea Party argument. They hate taxes. Here's a place where you get all your tax money back. They clearly don't argue in Virginia when the federal government gives us money for our aircraft carriers. This is pure politics and being terrified of the Tea Party. That is as simple as it is. And no matter what I do, it doesn't matter because I have no say in a Tea Party primary. And in fact, they probably use pictures of me in their leaflets. But it's just common sense doing the right thing. And this is what people hate about politics, this partisan divide. I will negotiate a deal with anybody, anytime, 24-7. My door is always open. They have yet to visit me to talk about this. They just won't do it. They're terrified. Okay, so let's look at the larger political uh, atmosphere here. Given uh, the, what we've seen in the first couple of months out of, uh, out of President Trump, given his approval rating at Gallup poll, he's actually below 40%. Yep. Uh, given some of the missteps, obvious missteps that have been made uh, on both sides of Pennsylvania Avenue, yep. uh, what, what, what does the outlook look for, for Democrats for the midterms? Do you take back, yeah, do you take back the House? You, can you get the Senate? Oh, my goodness. I have never seen such energy, the activism that's going on around the country. Right, right here in Virginia, I have, uh, we have three of our statewide governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general. All of our House of Delegates, where 66 Republican uh, members are, we have now candidates in all of these races, which we've never had before. I mean, two years ago when we had our races, out of 140 legislative seats, I had 87 that didn't even have an opponent. Now, a lot of that goes to gerrymandered districts. This time, people are coming out. The activists are coming out. They're signing up. I have primaries now, which is great, in, in districts to run against Republicans. 17 Republicans hold seats that Hillary Clinton actually carried uh, in the last presidential election. So th- you're going to see, I've never seen such energy of people coming out to say, I'm going to run. And, and I'll tell you, it were the activists, I think, more than anybody, forget the elected officials, who literally turned the course on this health care debate, these town halls that are going on across the country, spectacular. So and do they are, win the House, though? Do Democrats yes, take back can. the House? 
Yeah, and I've talked to Nancy Pelosi extensively on this. We need 24 seats to do it. we got to put up good candidates. The one problem we always have, and this is a project that I'm working with Nancy and Eric Holder on, I am for nonpartisan, independent redrawing of lines. Look at Virginia. President Obama carried the state twice. Hillary Clinton carried it. All five statewides are Democrats. And yet, you look at the congressional map until we sued last year and won, it was eight Republicans, three Democrats. So if we ever could get fair, fairly drawn lines, there'd be no question about it. This, this is a Democratic state. They like what's going on here. I mean, I have high approvals. Why? We're creating jobs, more capital investment than any time in our history. When I became governor, unemployment was 5-4. Today it's down to 3-9. Unemployment claims lowest in 44 years since 1973. We deliver. We, we protect individual rights. I have more vetoes than any governor in Virginia history. I have vetoed their insane Looney Tunes bills that would discriminate against women, LGBT members. If it puts more guns on the street, I stop it. If you hurt our environment, I veto it. So, and people are happy with that. So they know when you get Democrats in office, you're going to get economic growth and you're going to get individual civil liberty protections. So, so Governor, you're leaving with a high approval rating, successful governor in, in Virginia. What's Purple the chance? Purple state? It's all coming together. So what's the chance Terry McAuliffe runs for president in 2020? Oh, I'm going to finish here very strong. Uh, as I say, we own every economic development record now, and I'm going to continue to build on that. I just put the largest investment, a billion dollars, into education last year. We've transformed transportation here. I couldn't get Medicaid done because of the Tea Party and, and the timidness of the Republicans, but I went out and did my own thing called the Governor's Access Plan to sign up to take care of people. I want to finish this strong. And we'll see what happens next. Twenty twenty, twenty twenty. And how about Hillary Clinton? She's back. Any wait, 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 wait! Before you go to Hillary, that that sounded like a definite maybe. A definite maybe. All right, we can so, go. So, with that. so we we have you are you are thinking about running for president? Well, first of all, I, listen. Anyone who has known me for years, <laughs> I have never taken anything off the table. As I say, I want to be Tom Brady's backup quarterback. I'd like to be the Pope too in my future. I mean, you know, <laughs> I got a lot of things I'd like to get done, and uh, you know, I just you know my personality. Go big or go home. I'm, you know, I'm not thinking about it, but I never take anything off the table. And Hillary Clinton? I'd, Any... I'd like to do podcasts with you guys. You've got a standing invitation. You're the best. That's Hillary right, Clinton, any chance, she's I back like with it. the speech, speeches this week. What do you think? Any chance she runs again? No. I, Hillary's done with elective politics. She has said that. I think it's great that she's out there. Obviously very smart. And let's be honest, she has always fought on these issues. Uh, she's never been quiet about the issues, nor should she be. So I support her. Her voice is an important voice to add to all of the exciting voices that are going on across this country, from the grassroots to the activists to the elected officials. I mean, th there is a uh, choir going on out there, and we need all those voices out there, and I think it's great. But, you know, don't read too much into it. She's going out and speaking on things she's always spoken on. All right, Virginia Governor Terry McAuliffe, thanks for joining right, us. Here Move on to Virginia, low taxes, business friendly, 297 wineries, 185 craft breweries, eight varieties of oysters. We got mountains, we got the beach, we got it all. You got the oysters. Trump winery, too. You got it all. All right, we'll talk to you Virginia's soon. Virginia's for lovers. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, those care. oysters sound good right now. I know that's that, that a good sales a good sales job there. Appreciate it. So, uh, Rick, I think you made some news. Do you think? You think we've got? A, I, we've I got mean, someone the, for the list. I mean, you you asked him if he was going to think about running, and he basically answered with his campaign 
I mean, I it, heard a lot about why why he'd be qualified for it. Uh, it it's, it's intriguing to me because you start to see. The and, and by the way, I'm sorry to interrupt, but by the way, when you asked him about Hillary Clinton, you got a very direct <laughs> right. firm there's answer. A to, there's a way to be firm. I that. mean, you got a no to one, and you got a. I mean. Hey, that's what you come to the podcast for, right? Getting answers to, to the hard questions. It, it would be an intriguing resume. I mean, Terry McAuliffe, the former DNC chair, he knows a couple of people in the in the finance networks. The whole Clinton operation, if Hillary Clinton isn't in there, would would stand at his, at his ready. Uh, you have the resume from a from a purple state governor. Got some baggage. Yes, I think there's 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 some there's a there's a history of Terry McAuliffe, and he's a big personality in every way, and I think all of that comes back to the fore in a very crowded field. Could he fill that establishment lane? But for now, defining himself as many of these uh, potential 2020 candidates are in opposition to President Trump and putting himself out there now and talking about the Medicaid expansion and making clear to his friends over on Capitol Hill, you can't work with this president. I think that was another another piece in this is that if there are rumblings of, well, maybe we could get together on this. No, no chance of that and, and no advisability for that for the Democratic base and from where Governor McAuliffe sits. Fascinating. Fascinating. Well, this could have been the first... Uh Powerhouse politics episode on uh, on 2020. That's right. Hey, I mean, it begins. I mean, unbelievable. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, I want to give a special shout out to the acting executive producer of this podcast today, Michelle Boncardo, and uh, our senior executive uh, producer, uh, advisor, um, uh, uh, guru uh, to the podcast, Avery Miller. So please subscribe to the Powerhouse Politics Podcast through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And, you know, come on, get some of your friends to do it, too. We, we're, we're, we are part of a movement here, right, Rick? It's moving. It is. It, we're out there with our emergency podcasts all the time, making some news. You know, give us a rating over there on, on iTunes and uh, give us a click next time. 